Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse uh, 1 in just a moment. In the classic movie, The Princess Bride, which we watched yesterday just to uh, refresh and to enjoy, the main character, Wesley, is struck down by the enemy. And his friends take him to a miracle worker to try to revive him. I want you to watch this scene. He probably owes you money, huh? Well, I'll ask him. His daddy can't talk. Look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. Sadly, many of our churches could be described the same way as Wesley is described there, although without the comedic aspects of that scene. And if you've seen that show, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's quite a funny scene. Uh, But many churches are are barely clinging to life because they're barely faithful to Jesus. They're in need of a resuscitation, just as Wesley was. They're in need of, of, of a revitalization. And the Southern Baptist Convention has taken note of this problem, and they have now had resources developed for what has been termed church revitalization. I think that most churches in the, United St- in the United States, and especially many of the smaller churches that are in the Southern Baptist Convention, could be identified here with the Church of Sardis. So let's begin reading in Revelation chapter 1. Or sorry, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So we have an issue of reputation versus reality. An issue of reputation versus reality. Now the city of Sardis was located about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And it was once the capital of the, the nation, the ancient kingdom of Lydia. It was established on this steep hill, and it was considered to be impregnable to attack. Yet, twice in its history, two times, the city had been conquered. Both times it was because of the same reason. They had been overconfident in their fortress and had not posted a watch guard. They had not posted a sentry, as they should have. And when the enemy came, the city fell. They were so sure of their strength that they did not post sentries as they should have. And so the city fell, and the city never again rose to the level of prominence that it once held. But it maintained the name. It maintained this idea that it was this inconquerable fortress. It still held on to its former greatness. And it was this city that had this reputation, but the reputation had proven to be false. And at the time of John's writing of Revelation, this city is, in fact, a city of apathy. The church of Sardis reflected the nature of the city itself. The church had a reputation of being a church that was full of zest and vigor. They had a reputation of having life, but this reputation was at odds with the reality of the situation. And so when Jesus approaches this church, he does not start out with a word of 
of how great they're doing something, like so many of these churches that we've studied have. But he immediately goes and starts to tell them what is wrong with their situation. He goes immediately to point out their problem. And he sees beyond their reputation to see that their reality does not meet the reputation. He sees that the heart of the church, and he says, it is dead. Church of Sardis, you are dead. The church was apathetic. You know, having just celebrated Easter last week, and as I was studying this, it's easy to keep this in mind, that Jesus knows what dead looks like. He has been dead. He experienced death himself. And death means that there is no life left in the body. It's the separation of the physical and the spiritual. There's nothing left there. The, The body is there, but the spirit has gone. For the church... The body is there, but the spirit has gone. There's, there's been this separation. And, and note that they appear to be alive. They, they, they think, we are alive, we're doing all these great things. But Jesus says to them, I know your works. They appeared to be alive. And maybe they were a busy church. Maybe they were busy doing good things. They appeared to be alive, but the people in the community Maybe they had good things to say about the church. Man, you want to go to that church. That church looks alive. But as Jesus is examining this church with his fiery eyes of discernment, he sees that although they appear to be alive, they are in fact dead. And perhaps they had experienced a a shift from a desire to please God to just doing uh, what they've always done to maintain a good public face that the church had come to enjoy. We're going to keep these ministries going because look at what the community thinks of us. Look at what the community thinks about what we're doing. We, we have this good name. We don't want to lose it, so we're going to keep doing the same old, same old. But the church was just going through the motions. And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've heard good things about a church, and so you decide to go and visit, and, and you walk in, and, and you realize that, man, the things that I've heard and what I'm experiencing right now, they're not, they're not coming to terms with each other. They're, they're at odds with each other. And unfortunately, that's a common experience. And usually what happens is the church is afraid that word will get out that their reputation doesn't meet the reality, and so they try to cover it up with these acts of righteousness. Maybe they, the church decides, hey, we need to change our, our music style so we, we stay more relevant to, to the young people. Or maybe... We start to lower the lights during the the worship service so everybody can worship on an individual level instead of worshiping together as a community. Uh, Maybe they keep supporting this event that they really can no longer afford to do. They can really no longer uh, have the manpower to do, but they keep doing it because they don't want to lose their reputation in the community. Maybe they keep doing this ministry because they don't want to lose face in the community But when you go to the church business meeting, it's all fighting because they don't have the money to support that or they don't have the personnel to support that and it's it's causing high tension in the church. But we have to keep going. We have to keep pushing. We have to keep doing this because the community sees it and they we have a good name in the community. We don't want to lose that. And so what's going on behind the scenes does not reflect what is being seen by the community as a whole. The reputation doesn't meet the reality. 
And too many churches and, and individual Christians have this attitude of we're going to fake it until we make it. But the problem is that doesn't work for Christian life. Jesus sees right through it. And so for the Christian life, life is only to be found by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And notice how Jesus describes himself here. He says, I'm the one that holds the seven stars. Once again, seven is, is that image of completeness, of wholeness. And so when he's writing to these seven churches, he's saying, I'm writing to the church as a whole. Yes, he's writing to each individual church, but he's saying this is applicable to all churches. I hold all my churches in my hands. But he also says that he holds the seven spirits of God, which is a, a reference, a, a metaphorical description of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ holds both his church and the Spirit in his hands, and he can bring them together. Only the one who has conquered death by the power of the Spirit of God can bring life to a dead church or to a spiritually dead individual. But the individual or church must be committed to walk obediently with Christ. The life of the church is directly tied to the congregation's loyalty to Christ. And so he gave the church at Sardis this command. Look at verse 2 and 3. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. And so Jesus says, you are dead, but you can live. Resurrection is possible. Listen, church of Sardis, you are dead, but resurrection is possible. And so while Jesus had just stated that the church was dead, it is apparent that they weren't fully dead. They were only mostly dead. There is some strength remaining, and he says, you have to build up on that. You have to build on that so that this turnaround is possible. It was possible for the church at Sardis to experience this revitalization if they would just do what Christ commands them to do. And so he says, first of all, you got to be alert. Be alert. And so in speaking to the church at Sardis, Christ is alluding to their history. He's looking to the history of the city and he's, he's saying, listen, this, this city failed twice because of a failure to stay alert, to pay attention, to be awake and know what's going on. And so Jesus is calling the church, wake up, wake up. We don't want to make it too easy for Satan to come in and to attack the church and to lead it astray. And so the scriptures are, are constantly calling for the believer to remain vigilant against sin. Every believer is called to be a watchman of the church. Ezekiel wrote this in Ezekiel 33. However, suppose the watchman sees the sword coming but doesn't blow the trumpet so that the people aren't warned. And the sword comes and takes away their lives. Then they have been taken away because of their iniquity, but I will hold the watchmen accountable for their blood. So as each believer is a watchman, we're each accountable to Christ for what we do in his church. Each believer must ensure that he or she is staying awake and staying alert to the nature of the church as a whole. We must make sure the church is remaining vigilant. We must be paying attention. We must be focused. We must be a good watchman, a good sentry. As we await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, we must ensure that we are found working in love when He comes back. And so He says, 
Wake up, be alert. He says, strengthen that which remains. Now, the church had a little bit of life remaining. Mostly dead means kind of alive, partly alive. And so there was still a, a vestige of hope. Many churches look at their situation and they think, there is no hope for us. But in Christ, we have hope. And he can turn even the most wayward church back to life. He can bring even the greatest sinner to become a force for him. Look at what happened with the Apostle Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was zealously trying to stamp out the believers. But when Jesus came to him and and appeared to him and became involved in Paul's life, Paul was transformed from the persecutor of the church to the proclaimer of the gospel. So listen to what Paul wrote about what can happen for you or hopefully has already happened for you through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, and the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we, by, we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that He has for us, He made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. And so Jesus instructs the church at Sardis to strengthen that which remains. Sometimes the church has too many good things happening, too many good ministries going on, that they fail to emphasize the most important things. And so each church must evaluate each ministry and each activity to determine if it's something that should remain or not. And so sometimes you have to to cut programs that don't align with the church's mission and vision and financial situation and personnel. And for many churches that have been doing well and then they've started to experience a decline Sometimes you have to cut something that hurts. Something that you go, we're going to cut this and it's going to to look bad. The community is going to look at it and it's it's not going to seem like a good thing, but it's necessary. And so sometimes we have to do things that are difficult. We have to make changes that are hard. And so in living during this this interesting time with COVID-19, we've had to evaluate everything. We've had to ask, what's essential to keep? And what are we able to continue to do during COVID-19? And what are some things that have to be cut? We have to strengthen that which is important, that which shows signs of life. But if it's dead, we have to cut it off. Jesus said in John 15, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so they will produce more fruit. So, if we have a, have a dead branch coming off of the church, we have to cut it off. We have to do some pruning so that growth can continue to happen. So we must strengthen that that remains and remove the rest. But Jesus also says you have to remember that what you have heard and received. Remember that which you have received and heard. And so he calls the church, remember your past. The church of Sardis had a, a reputation of a church that was alive. That had to have come from somewhere. 
They had to have been a church that was alive at some point to gain that reputation. And so he says, look back on what you have already accomplished. Look back at your history. When a church is established, it's established for a reason. And hopefully, the reason for that establishment is for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, I realize there's churches that are started for reasons that are much less noble. But what we should all be focused on is that we are called as a church, we are called as individuals to advance the kingdom of God. And so we must remember to keep the most important thing the most important thing. We must remember to exalt that in our church. We must remember to to put it forth as this is why we are here. And everything that we do should align with it. So the gospel should be at the forefront of the church. I think this past week's scripture that we examined last week explains the gospel in the most clearest way possible. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Paul says, For I passed on to you as most important that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes on to, to talk about how he appeared to all these witnesses to prove the resurrection. And so if we're not keeping the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, if we're not keeping that as the forefront, as the most important thing, then we have failed to remember what we have received and what we have heard. And if we drift away from proclaiming this truth in everything that we do, then Jesus said this, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. But then he goes on to say, that if you fail to produce that fruit, if you're failing to do that, he's going to cut you off and cast you into the fire. And so we must not abandon the gospel. Because if we abandon the gospel, then we cease to be the church that Christ has called us to be. And reflecting on the past should show us the way to renewal. We have to regain that which we started with. They says you also have to obey. You have to obey. Or as my version puts it, you have to keep it. You have to keep it. So once he commanded them to remember, he commands the church at Sardis to obey what he has taught. Let us remember what we were instructed by Christ to do. Matthew 28, 18 and 20, familiar passage. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. And so once again, the gospel must be at the forefront of all that we do. We must go and share the gospel in love. We must go and make disciples, not not make converts, not not tell people about Christ and tell them to, to say a prayer and walk an aisle and boom, you're a Christian. No, we are to make disciples, people who are learning, people who are following, people who are obeying. And so in do that, we must teach them about the theology of the church. We must Help them. We can't just hand them a Bible and say, here you go. Here's all you need to know. Because if you do that, you get a lot of heresies. 
People can read the Bible and not understand what it's saying. We must instruct them. We must teach them how to read the Bible. And we must train them in the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. We must show them what it means to be a Christian. We must instruct them in how to live. And so we must be obedient to the work. And while I 100% believe that the Bible teaches this as true, the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone has made some people lazy. The Bible shows that good deeds are to happen as acts of obedience to God. He wrote, uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not, not from works, so that no one could, could boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of, ahead of time for us to do. And so we are saved to do good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved by justification through faith alone. In other words, we believe in Jesus and what He has done for us in His death and His resurrection. We believe that that alone accomplishes salvation. It's not a way of earning salvation by our works, but... By our works, we show that our fruit in Jesus. We show that we are a disciple. We show that we are doing what Christ has called us to do. And so Jesus tells us in John 15 that that, that, that faith we have to demonstrate shows fruit. It shows an, an example to show that our faith is genuine. James wrote this. James chapter 2. James, the, the brother of Jesus, wrote, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and any one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And so the church at Sardis had failed in doing these things. They had failed at living in obedience and doing the works of Christ out of a spirit of love and instead did them out of a spirit of we have to maintain our reputation. And so have many contemporary churches. And so therefore Christ has called us and he called the church at Sardis to repent. Biblical repentance embraces this change of a heart and a change of our mind, and a change of external behavior. The church must see that the, the way things have always been is not the way that Christ has for them. Christ is making all things new. 
And for the church at Sardis and for many churches today, forward motion and progressive sanctification has stopped. We are saved, we are justified by Christ, but we're also in the process of becoming like Christ, or we call that progressive sanctification. We're we're progressing toward sanctification, Christ-likeness. And so when we fail to continue in that, we have failed to obey Christ, and we must repent of it. And we must see that the need to make a change, and we must then make that change. Now, I know the jokes about Baptists and change, but you've proven Baptists can change. This situation has forced us to change and make some pretty drastic changes over the short course of time. We've had to adapt and to change in order to survive. And so change is not bad, but rather it is an essential element for the Christian life. That's what the Christian life is all about, is we are changed from dead to life. We are changed from sinner to saint. We are changed by the power of Christ from being forced to go to hell because of our own sin to being able, by the power of Christ, to go to heaven. It's all about change. And so we can't be adverse to change because change is not bad. And so we should be changing to become more like Christ. And we need to repent and devote ourselves to a change of heart, to a change of mind, and to a change of our external behavior. And so a failure to wake up, a a failure to strengthen, a failure to remember, a failure to obey, and a failure to repent leads to death. But the risen Christ has the power to revive a dead church, and He has the power to bring a dead individual to life by the power of the Spirit. And so we must commit to live in obedience to Him. He and He will make us alive. Look with me at verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they walk with me in white, because they are worthy. The remnant is exalted, or the remnant are exalted. There was a remnant in the church there that had remained faithful. And in order for a church to remain alive, there must be a remnant who remain faithful to Christ. And you can usually tell who they are. They are the people that are doing everything in the church. A common statistic shows us that 20% of members in the church do all the work in the church, while the other 80% do nothing. So in other words, in a church of 100 people, there are 20 people who are doing everything and 80 people who show up and sit in a pew and that's it. If those 20 people were to leave the church, the church would die or somebody would have to make a change. And the more you do the work of Christ the more you love Him. The more you love Christ, the more you do the work of Christ. It's a cycle. These statistics tell me that 80% of the members of our churches don't truly love Christ. Most of our churches are either plateaued or declining in attendance. And to have a church that is alive, it must be active in the work of the gospel. A church should have new Sunday school classes. It should have new small groups happening all the time. It should have new ministries taking place. And there should be changes taking place because you have so-and-so who was the teacher of this class. And they taught this other person how to teach a class. And so now that person leaves from that class and starts a new class. Or this person was in, this. Uh, let's say Joe was in Jimmy's class his small group, and as they worked and as they discipled 
each other. Jimmy taught Joe how to lead a small group, and so Joe goes and starts a new small group, and so now you have twice the capacity. So a church should be continually moving and growing and finding new ways to work for Christ. But what normally happens is it's the same few people who are doing everything, and so little changes take place because those few are completely maxed out until the point that they burn up and burn out. So let me encourage you, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a small group leader, find someone to teach how to do your job so that they can then go and teach others how to do that job. And so there's this constant process of multiplication and replication that's taking place. And so the church begins to grow. You have more Sunday school classes. You have more members. You have more finances. You have more life in doing that. That's the way Christ set it up. He went and got 12 guys, and he invested deeply in three and invested lightly in in the others. And then he sent them out and taught them how to do what he had done. And they went and they did that. And the church grew. We must be doing the same thing. Christ says that those few, the remnant, the ones who are alive, the ones who are active, the ones who are walking with Him in obedience, they will walk with Him in white robes because they are worthy. And so let me encourage you that your walk with Christ and that your work for Him walk worthy so that you may wear white and walk with him and if your walk does not prompt you to work i question your walk then christ ends with this promise to the church in the same way the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes and i will never erase his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels let anyone who has an ear to hear Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So we see the reward for repentance. The reward for repentance. Once again, Christ calls the church to conquer or to persevere. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Jesus promises that the ones that persevere in doing good will receive great rewards. And he gives three here. He says, first of all, they will be dressed in white clothes. White has an important theological implication. The color white is important theologically. Isaiah chapter 1, he said, Come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be white like wool. And so whereas all people have sinned, and all people have been stained red by the sin in our lives, the ones that persevere in Christ receive the cleansing from sin that plagues mankind. And so this purification can only come in one way. Revelation chapter 7, skipping forward a couple of chapters. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It is only by the death and the resurrection of Christ that this cleansing is possible. And He is the only human being who is pure. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, He took on 
full humanity in addition to his full deity. He was fully God. He was fully man. And he humbled himself of all the glory that was due to him as God. And he came to his creation as a servant to the point of death on a Roman cross. And he spilled his blood so that mankind could wash themselves in the blood of the Lamb. And he says that those who have washed themselves in the blood, they wear white. And to the one who conquers, they will be dressed in white. We must endure to the end to receive this cleansing. And he says, second of all, that they will have their name in the book of life. And this is a reference to the Lamb's book of life. A a person may have his or her name on a church roll, but not in the Lamb's book of life. They may have their name on a church roll, but not be saved. Only those who have placed their faith and life in the capable and worthy hands of Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior have their names recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus didn't just die on the cross and stay there, but rather on the third day He rose from the grave and He ascended and He lives forever sitting at the right hand of God. And He offers this eternal life to all who place their faith and their trust in Him. And just as Christ was resurrected, the believer receives the promise of a resurrection in the last days. And so we have a cleansing. We have a resurrection to eternal life. And He says that He will proclaim them before God the Father. He will proclaim them before God the Father. The Father exalted Christ Jesus. All glory and honor is given to Jesus And on one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on that day, Jesus will mete out punishment for sins. But for those who have been cleansed by His blood and whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will receive the inheritance of Christ Jesus Himself. Paul wrote in Romans 8, For if you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, instead you will have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we're also heirs. Heirs of God. Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may be glorified with Him. He will proclaim us before the Father. We will become co-heirs heirs with Christ. We'll receive the inheritance of God. And so we must repent and live. Repent and live. The church at Sardis was dead, but Christ offered the opportunity for them to live again. For our church, maybe we need to evaluate ourselves. Are we alive or do we just have a good reputation? Are we truly living in the spirit of God? Or are we doing these ministries? Are we doing these Sunday school classes? Are we doing all of these things by our own power because we want to maintain a good reputation? Maybe for you as an individual, maybe you're still dead in your trespasses and sins and you're against God and you need this life that Christ offers only through Him. You can be saved today. You, can, you just have to accept that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have to 
believe that He is the Son of God who took on flesh, lived without sin, died, and was resurrected. You have to believe that He took your sins upon Himself. And He took them with Him to the grave, but when He rose, He was pure and holy again. And you must confess Him as your Lord and as your Savior, and then you can be saved today. I want to give us an opportunity to respond to that. If you want to,